tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie and you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Thanks, uh, Sarah. Keep those calls coming into us on 1800-938-007. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joins us in studio. Welcome back, John. Thank you, thank you. You had another lovely little break for yes, yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Sure you have to. At, yeah. my, at my age, you have to speak <laughs> with Andy. Oh, do you hear this? Listen, you're going to talk to us today about the changes to the Fair Deal scheme and I'm delighted you are because I think there's a little bit of um, confusion uh, out there. Would you begin just by telling us about the Fair Deal scheme as suppose, well, I mean, currently? Effectively what the Fair Deal... I'll just get you to come a little closer yeah, to the sorry. Side, John. Yeah. What, uh, out of practice obviously, what the, <laughs> I bring the mic closer to Yes, me. indeed. Um, what the Fair Deal scheme is, is uh, it, it started with the cost of, of care literally going into a nursing home and it started it politically started trying to introduce some sort of fairness into the situation where people weren't literally depleting all of their resources when they had maybe paid tax all their lives etc so effectively what it, what, what it introduced was a kind of a if you like a, a means assessment in terms of going into the going into to care by the state so you'd have to pay depending on your means so they came up with a kind of a, a criteria to establish how they were going to I was going to say how much money they were going to charge you but you know what I mean mm. depending on what your means mm. were so it's a kind of a means assessment so what happens is okay first of all they decide are you eligible in other words health wise uh, you know should you be in a nursing home or, or not and once they've kind of made that assessment <coughs> then they go looking at the finances and when they look at the finances effectively what they say is so much of your income is allocated to your care or put it the other way around you can retain 20% of your income per annum but the balance of it goes towards your care the other part of it and the thorny part of it or if you like the difficult part of it is the way that they deal with your assets or particularly your family home for example so what they did with the family home was they said well okay what we'll do is on an annual basis you'll put in a percentage of the value of that asset against your care so in in the case of the family home which was 75.5% per annum if you like that would be taken off the value of your home and put against your care but obviously when they were dealing, dealing with the the family home, they said, well, you know, fair being fair kind of thing. We're not going to do that indefinitely because you can imagine mm. if you went 7.5, 7.5, eventually, eat no up matter all the money, how, yeah. how good or bad so you So they are, capped it in some way. So they capped it, exactly. Yeah. And they capped it for three years. Now, what has been going on over the last period of years <clears throat> has been lobbying by business people and farmers to the effect... Uh, if you take the farm for example I mean if you're going to start taking 7.5% of the farm away every year indefinitely you can imagine without me having to spell it out the implications of that so what has happened has has been basically that there's been a, a realisation that that's not fair and again I suppose not kind of punning too much on the word fair deal scheme they decided to introduce a certain element of fairness and the fairness that they've introduced is they're now proposing to cap 
the farm scenario and the business scenario so that you're not going to deplete the farming asset over a period of time. And in, in those circumstances, they're going to introduce a similar cap to farm the farm asset and the business asset. And as you can imagine, then you're going to have a little bit of kind of balancing act on that insofar as, you know, if there's always an if but and maybe about it and the if but maybe is that they're going to look for some sort of an assurance that if you like that the farm stays within the family so that they want to have a situation they being the state if you like or all of us want to be in a situation that you're not going to have a situation where the farm is sold off and that if you like the state doesn't get the benefit Mm. of a set off and that what you're trying to do is you're trying to maintain the asset so that in essence is the change that they're talking would you just explain to me how you know the percentage per annum yes How, how is that paid back is that in the event of death well, that's paid back. Well, you're effectively what you're looking at is a charge. I mean, you can get a loan as well, by the way. In other words, that if you're not, you know, sorry, the other little bit of the jigsaw, and well done for pointing it out, is that when you're looking at a situation, what are you going to do, or where are you going to get the seven point five, or where are you going mm. to get this? Well, the answer to that, the state dealt with that as well when they introduced the scheme, because they introduced that if you couldn't get access to the seven point five percent, which is fairly common, that mm. you won't be able to get access to it, that you can get a loan from the state, and then that loan is a deferred payment, so you defer it, so it becomes payable on death. So, in other words, the asset is then sold, and or realised, or somebody pays back if you like. So right. you, get, you get it by way of a kind of a deferred loan. So. Very good. So yeah. in the case of the farmers then the, yeah. obviously, well, most of the time it, the, the farm wouldn't be sold so t- so they would just pay the government so back exactly. that, that, that so capped amount. Exactly, amount. exactly. So what you have is you have you have a, char- a building up of 7.5 over three years do the sums yourself and yeah. that amount if you like would, would be a repayable loan to the state at yeah. the end of the and do they take into account at all, John, that, I mean, somebody could be asset rich but mightn't have... But that's the problem. Yeah. Therein lies the problem and that's why they introduced the loan scheme. Ah, right. Because, okay. as you say, you might have a situation where you, you might have a business that's very ca- asset rich but yeah. cash poor. Yeah, exactly. Right. And obviously, so that that's the gist of it. That's right. exactly... Are, are farmers happy with this or is our farmers happy. <laughs> You're not going to get me into trouble, though. This is I John Lynch speaking. That's a very with. unfair question. Farmers are always happy. With yeah. Um, are, are they happy enough with this, though? I mean, they, they are. Yeah. They are. Okay. But I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, <clears throat> there's been a couple of really interesting things. I mean, I've been away for the last two weeks or so. It's been three weeks or so, I think, since I actually put my head down to look at the various things that have come up. The Faraday scheme is one of them that has come up. The other one we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about the divorce referendum mm. or as in the change to the two yes. years it's really interesting that since since I stopped looking at my papers I, I see that the law society has come up with a report on what they consider are the shortcomings to the family law system and you and I talked about this before and I said to you that I felt that there was quite a number of things that could be changed other than this two year one and this two year 
scenario, you know, reducing the divorce to a two-year period, yeah. I feel is going to change the whole landscape of separation in Ireland because you're now going to have a situation where, by and large, you'll get a divorce readily in the context of the delays in a court system. You're going to get your divorce much more quickly than in the past, or rather you won't have to go through this kind of double take scenario of judicial separation and or a divorce. Now mm. you're going to primarily deal with the divorce. But I thought it was interesting and I hope, I really do hope that they take some action on that. The Brexit seems to be like a block that seems to be under everything, everything at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But it would be a pity if they didn't use the momentum that was there in the referendum and actually ch- start changing other areas. So have specialised family law courts, have deal with the issue of maintenance so people have some idea as to what is or what is not the right level of maintenance that should be paid. Try and deal with some sort of, you know, ways of determining how what is proper provision. Try to deal with special agencies to deal with children and various things mm. like that, you know. But Interesting. I need to take a break in a moment. But yeah. could I, before I do that, could I, could I take you back to the fair scheme, deal scheme for just one moment? Mm. If, I, if I own a farm and I sign it over to my son. Um, what implication does that have on the fair deal scheme then? Good question, because again, <clears throat> where you transfer an asset, if you like, that had been your asset within a period of three years, so let's take historically the family home. If you transfer the asset, I think the period is three years, I could be, I could be corrected on that now, but if you owned an asset which you transferred within a period of three years. Yes. There's a kind of a catch all there that if you do it within three years, it's deemed to be your asset. So if you're transferring, and it's funny, it's not funny, funny is the wrong word. Uh, if you're, it's interesting to look at it because w- always when you're looking at schemes like this, you're looking at the front end of it and the back end of it. Mm. The front end of it is what happens if some th- somebody transfers the asset out before somebody goes into the nursing home. Yes. And you'll often have a situation that somebody is heading towards the nursing home scenario, and I don't want that to sound too kind of judgmental, mm. but mm. that you will transfer the asset out in advance. And, you know, you'll you'll often get the call, or I would often get the call, can I transfer the asset out in order to protect the family home? And the answer is that if you do it within a period of three years, then it's caught as an asset of the person going into the nursing home. And again, as the back end of it is the other question that you asked, you know, what happens if you've got assets that you can't liquidate? Well, the answer to that is the state deals with that as well. And the other back end of that is that, you know, what happens if you transfer the asset after the event? In other words, that you've got a cap and you've got the benefit of a three-year cap. Uh, you know, what happens if you try and transfer it? And again, they're going to introduce that you have to retain the asset for, I think they're talking about a period of six years. So if you know what I mean, just to protect. It's f- quite common across a lot of scenarios, th- this whole clawback scenario. You know, when they used to introduce various tax benefits, like if you were if you were getting a tax benefit, like a tax break for urban renewal, I don't know, do you remember urban renewal? But sure. quite a lot yeah. of Clonmel was re generated and people went in as tenants and they got various tax breaks well you'd always have clawbacks and it used to be a 10 year clawback for example that if you bought 
an asset and you got the benefits of stamp duty exemptions, you got the benefits of double rates relief, etc, etc. If you dispose of the assets within that 10-year period, then and it's a fairly standard kind of way of trying to deal with it. You know, there's nothing novel in that mm. kind of approach to it. So they're going to introduce those and when you get down to the fine print that's where, you know, the devil is in the detail. Alright, I'll take a break. John is staying with us back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And you're very welcome back. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitor is still with me in a studio. We've had a, a query, uh, John. This is a, a son living in a, a house with uh, his mum. The mum hasn't made the transfer of the house yet, but probably will do so. But again, just not to be coarse about it, but the, the mother may be looking mm. at, at, at mm. a nursing home situation in, in the near future. What should happen there to protect as much of the asset as yeah, possible? Yeah, that's the front ending we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, effectively, if within the next three years, mum goes into the nursing home, uh, in those circumstances, if, if the family aren't able to afford the nursing home, then under those circumstances, the the seven point five percent, if you like, figure that you're talking about, that seven point, like, sorry, start again here. We're talking about where if mum goes into the nursing home and can't afford it. Obviously, if mum goes into the nursing home and the family covers the cost of it, we're talking about going into the nursing home and, if you like, the state covering the cost of it. If the state is paying for the nursing home care for mum, under those circumstances, you're in a situation that the state will seek to recover the cost of having mum in the nursing home. They will look to mum's income and take and look to allocate, if you like, 20% of it to her, or if you like, 80% to them, if you want to put it that way. And they will look to the family home, and they will look to take 7.5 over three years. So the point about that is that if if the family can't afford to, if you like, pay that 7.5%, then the state will and will give a loan to the family, which will be a charge which would be on the house for year one, year two, year three, and cumulatively add 7.5, 7.5, 7.5. So at the end of the day, if that asset is still in mum's name when she goes into the nursing home, it becomes, if, if it's transferred within a period, and again, I'll check this, but I'm reasonably three, confident. Three years. Three years. If, the th- if it's transferred three years, so in other words, if mum doesn't go in for, say, three years from now and the transfer is made today, well, then once you're outside the three-year period, it's not no longer mum's ass and is no longer taken into account. Right. Does that make that clear? It does. So uh, her, the only thing she has then is her pension, and, and that's... Well, that's part of her that's income. That's part of her, her be, income, isn't yeah, that the way that, it is? That w- she'll retain 20% of it. Right. Okay, yeah. very very interesting. And the other thing, obviously, is if mum is intending to, to give the house to the son or whoever mum might want to, there's two there's two scenarios there. Either transfer it, and obviously willing it isn't going to work in the in the context of the fair deal scheme. Willing it, making it, you know, and it's it's a point that's worth making. If if mum makes the will saying I hereby give it to I don't know what we'll call him Johnny. I'm hereby give my house to Johnny. If mum makes a will to that effect, that doesn't take the asset out of her ownership. 
It's, right. o- it's only if she transfers it, actually transfers it, affects a transfer of the house, that it would come out of the net, if you like, okay. for, for fair deal. Am I making myself clear? You, you, you are. I, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm careful about saying this, but is it advisable that a transfer should be made at a certain time of life? Or, or is that too too broad a sort of a... Well, I would always... Let me answer it this way. I would always say to somebody um, that you should always do it with a certain amount of certainty at the time. So in other words, you know, if somebody says to me, do I put it in the will or do I transfer it? I'd say, well, unless you have a very good reason not to, I would transfer it. Because transfers, it ends all questions about what happens in the future, what's the story with tax, what's the story mm. with... The, so, it, you know, there's a certainty in affecting a transfer. You, you have to balance that with the, you know, the actuality of not releasing your assets you know, right. too early, yeah. if you know what I mean. And, and and just for clarity, if if that lady d- didn't do the transfer, she went into the nursing home, she's the three years of the 7.5, mm. and God forbid if she passes away, the, 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 even though the house is left to the son, he'd still have to pay the government. Correct. Yeah, he owes the state... 23%, yeah. as yeah. it will become, yeah. I Whatever suppose. it is, uh, the, whatever the, the number is, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Which is a fair old chunk, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It is a fair old chunk, and that's the issue. And by the way, that chunk you're talking about, let's say there's no cap of three years. Can you imagine what kind of chunk you're talking about then? That's why, to be fair to the business people and the farmers, they're they're saying this needs to change because you'd have a fairly significant chunk in in other circumstances. And if mum goes into the nursing home and lives for 10 or 15 years, and if you take it that we're all hoping to live a lot longer now than we used to, mm. you're talking about a fairly significant cost. I mean, the, one of the, funny, I was reading a book while I was away, which I put down after a while because I can't remember what it was called. I was I was going to say it was called the afterlife, but it was called something like that. And it was basically doing research across the world about the issues that we have about aging, i.e., the lack of provision we've made for an elderly, uh, you know, society. Mm, mm. And it's going to be a significant issue across the globe, apparently, in certain countries. Japan, for example, is that there there's a complete imbalance. So you can imagine what kind of imbalance you're talking about in terms of cost to the state, in terms of nursing home care, if somebody actually is there for 10 or 15 years. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Another John has been on to us and he's he's making making an interesting point, but I suppose fair being fair with the fair deal scheme, but he he says in a nursing home situation you could have somebody with business assets and all of that and they're paying full whack to the state for their time in the nursing home. In an adjoining room he said you could have arrested a resident with no assets, and the state is covering the entire cost Correct. of this. Fair, how are you, says John? Well, but, but that yeah. is that but is that, that, is, that is, is the society we choose to live in. Yeah, you know, and, and one we're aspiring to, I yes. suppose. Yes, more yes. and more. You know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is what we're aspiring to. Mm. Yeah, yeah exactly. interesting. All right, listen, I want to drag you into a, a little bit of controversy. I like to do this, but we're hearing about the State Claims Agency now lodging that appeal to Ruth Morrissey's judgment. I know you, you, you started to read the judgment. It's a, cons- a considerable judgment, isn't it? 85 pages of a judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you have a, have a peek at it? I had a peek at it, and I, I started to read it, and I was actually going to try and uh, cover it to a certain extent because it raises some... what are... I mean, it's not 
from a legal point of view, it raises very interesting is the right wrong word, but yes, interesting from a legal point of view. Mm. Obviously, on the human level, it's it's a it's a total and utter disgrace the whole scenario and how it's been dealt with. And it you know when you read the judgment and you read all eighty five pages of it, you kind of w- wonder to yourself, you know, is it time to address what are kind of fundamental questions within the legal system about compensation because you see if you switch uh, you know when you read a judgment like that and you switch it to a different kind of scenario sometimes you know sometimes as a, a you know from a political point of view people are talking about compensation culture and how disgraceful it is and there's all these people out there and I it brings me in mind of a certain politician on a swing before I was going on my holiday mm. and the whole kind of outcry about this person how dare they make this claim etc and then we've the other side of it you know the Ruth Morrissey's and we have all these absolutely you know equally equally uh, kind of significant kind of political legal and ethical type of questions and this therein lies what is makes law really interesting and quite difficult to remain neutral mm-hmm. in terms of how you observe the system. Because if you look and try and stay neutral, and it, which is hard to do, obviously, in the personal circumstances of each individual case, you know, and as a lawyer, you have to remain neutral of if you course, want to yeah. advise the client. You have to try and remain as objective as you can about it. But if you look at that particular judgment, I mean, there was a significant amount of law in the judgment, but the nub of it, the nub of it is that if you have a system which we have, which requires you to prove liability, which it does, and then requires you to establish the level of compensation that's payable in the event of establishing liability, you're going to have 85 days of a trial to try and deal with the, both of those issues. Mm. And if you look at the issue of liability in this particular instance, you see... The very nub of the question, and we're involved, uh, as a firm, we're involved in a number of these cases as well. And the nub of the question, when this first came to light, when I looked at it first, I said to myself, well, okay, looking at it from a a lawyer's perspective, is there liability there? And if there is liability, on what basis are you going to you know, found that liability because if you look at neg- if you look at the law of negligence, which you and I have discussed many a time, it's grounded on the neighbour principle. You know, if you're a good neighbour, would you do that? And if you were looking after your neighbour, you know, how should you look after your neighbour? So, if you apply that principle to the medical profession and or somebody reading a scan, which is what we're dealing with here, you have to ask yourself the question that if you're if you're going to apply some sort of a standard. What standard are you going to apply to the person who's looking at the scan? And the nub of the first, I, I think I got to about page 35 on this, but the first, the nub or the f- argument about this was, there, there, on my take, on my read of it was, that there were two arguments. There was the American approach and there was the kind okay, of well, European yeah. approach, if you yeah. know what I mean. And the American approach was rely on the judgment of if you like, the systems that they put in to make sure that it, that the reading of the scan is right. So, I mean, the whole issue of it is, you know, how do you read it? If you look at the scan and you're not sure about it, are you going to say, OK, on my professional judgment, it's OK and I let it pass? Now, 
Or are you going to look at it and go, well, if, if I look at this scan and I'm not sure about it, I have a doubt about it, what am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to put it on and put it in the pile that says check it again, go out, do another one, do more, more investigation? And my, re, my take of what um, uh, Judge Cross decided was he went for the European standard. So the Americans who are the defendants in the case are obviously arguing that the American standard should apply. And they're... These are the labs. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, the labs. Mm. And the labs are taking the view that, look, we're defendants in proceedings. If we don't defend these proceedings, we're going to open the floodgates that every time uh, our standard is applied, we're going to... There's going to be litigation and there's going to be liability. So they're doing you know, what one does as a defendant, they're going to defend it. But the other part of the story or the other part of the picture is the responsibility of the state or, in other words, the party who, who whose job it was to carry out these scans. And that was the job of the HSE and that was the job of the state. So the other part of the issue that... Um, Judge Cross was looking at was to what extent is, and I have to say I didn't get to the end of this Mm. one, to what extent is the state responsible or any party responsible who has a job to do like that, to what extent can they kind of pass it off to somebody else? And I mean the answer to that from general legal principles is yes you can pass it off but if you do pass it off you must keep an eye on it, you must make sure that you check and ensure that the passing off is done correctly. So it's not good for the HSE to say we farmed this out to the labs therefore we farmed out the responsibility that's just not not good enough not at all because if that was the case if that was the case if you think about it from a kind of a common legal principle if you employ a contractor in your house to fix your stairs and the, and the stairs collapses because he bought it from somebody else and the stairs was dodgy and, and I go in visiting you and I fall down the stairs and I have an injury, I'm going to sue you as the occupier of the house from a legal point of view. Right. You can't turn around to me and say, well, I'm sorry about that, but I got this dodgy builder, uh, well, I didn't know he was dodgy at the time, and then the builder says to you, well, I'm sorry, I got this fellow what I was able to do a stair. Right, so they're passing so, it down the line. Yeah, yeah, so you, you can't can, do that. You can, from a legal point yeah. of view, you can't do that. So, And I don't understand... And, and the the other thing, have you ever come across a situation where that the award, in other words, the two point whatever it is, one million, would be ring fenced in some way, and the rest of the judgment would be appealed? Does that make sense to you? Well, you can have a situation where the well, you can't have a situation where you can ring fence liability and ring fence the award. In so far as if you think about it. You can't have one without mm. without the other, but you can have the other without the one, if you know what I mean. So, in other words, you can have a situation where you could ring fence uh, one element of it. So, if liability, for example, you could concede liability. In other words, you could say, okay, I'm not fighting this case. So, the state in this case could say, the HSC could say, we're not disputing our liability here. And in that case, they, but they could still dispute the amount of the award, but they can't say, well, we'll keep the award intact and dispute the liability. Right, but they're, try, they're trying to say, they're trying to say that. Well, unless the state is going to introduce an independent, uh, unless they're going to make a once-off decision to say, we will, in this particular instance, 
compensate outside the legal system. Right. You know but I mean? I mean, I agree with you. I would have thought that the compensation amount was based on the entire decision, if you know what I mean. Well, it's prefaced by liability. Right, okay. I mean, mm. I can't... Like, if if I owe you money, and I if I don't owe you money, I, I'm not going to pay it back to you if I don't owe it. If I'm arguing that I never owed you the money in the first in the, in place. The, in the first but place, if yeah. I agree that I owe you the money, we might still argue about how much I owe you. But the spokesperson for the HSE is saying that the appeal does not relate to the High Court decision to award the 2.1 million in damages. Uh, well, I think, I think, I don't know, but I would imagine that what they, what they could be saying is they're not going to dispute the amount. The amount. Do you follow me? So in other words, like let's say, take your standard road traffic accident sir because I'm trying to distance myself somewhat from the I mean the, mm. the significance of this particular of course, case yes. but if you look at the if you look at a case where somebody goes into court and let's say they have an accident work as an example <coughs> and the employer says well actually we have no responsibility here because we did everything right and we don't have a duty of care to you and we didn't breach right. this duty of care and the judge says, well, the judge, let's say, in the High Court says, no, I don't agree with you. I think you're responsible for this accident and you must pay compensation. And I'm assessing the compensation at 100,000 euros or whatever it is, right? As a defendant, as an employer, I could say, well, OK, I won't fight about the 100 grand, but I will fight about the liability. So, right. the, so that is a possibility. Oh, yeah. But, but what if the... Sorry, and I really must go down. But right. if the appeal is upheld, does that not sort of mean that the money is should be paid back? Well, if the well, yeah. well, you see, what happens when you appeal it is no money. Okay, that's an interesting one because what sometimes happens is, let's say you let's say you have a situation where the court decides, okay, you're responsible. I'm going to hold you responsible here, and I'm ordering hundred grand. And let's say the other side appeal it. If they appeal it, normally there's a stay on paying the hundred grand, as you can imagine from right. a common sense point of view. But sometimes, sometimes the court will actually pay out or order the payment out of part of that money. Yeah, and that's what they've done in this case, yeah. 700,000 700, oh, oh yeah, that's what, the, that's what got, and to answer your question, what happens if there's a totally 100% successful appeal? Yeah. Well, you can figure it out yourself. That's very interesting indeed. John, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors uh, with us. Much food for thought there.